Have you ever looked at someone thriving in their business and wondered, how did they do it? Have you ever thought that you can't have mental health and success? Have you doubted your own ability to create a financially thriving career that still has your well-being at the forefront? Well, welcome to the Boardroom Brain Podcast, where we tackle those very questions. I'm Dr. Lauren Cook, and I'm a clinical psychologist and speaker that takes you behind the business and inside the minds of today's most successful and personally thriving leaders. We're taking a look at our guests' secrets to success, how they bounce back when they've been knocked down, and what advice they have for you. Oh, and I've got another motive too. As a clinician and company consultant who frequently sees employees struggling mentally and knocking on the door of burnout, I'm invested in having conversations about how we can bring more wellness into company culture. I want to make sure that everyone has the absolute best work experience that we all can have, and I believe that includes making sure our businesses are invested in their employees as people, not just as time card stampers and payroll lists. So get excited to listen, learn, and leverage your own leadership skills. These conversations will help you tap into your own bravery while helping you reprioritize your sense of well-being, both at work and when you're off the clock. So step inside the conference room with me and welcome to the boardroom. Your brain is about to get a major bonus. Welcome to the Boardroom Brain Podcast, everybody. We have a absolutely fantastic guest joining us on the show today. I am so excited to welcome to you, Brittany Achave. She is a relentless customer advocate and empathy engine, ensuring companies understand who people are and what problems they have to drive relevant and impactful solutions. She currently leads the Enterprise Customer Research Team for REI Co-op, the nation's largest member-owned cooperative. Brittany has a background in qualitative and quantitative market research, having worked across a number of industries over the last two decades. She has a bachelor's degree in sociology and French from New York University and an MBA in brand management from DePaul University. In her free time, she loves spending time outside with her family, exploring culinary delights, and working it all out on her Peloton. Brittany, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me and for that introduction. I love that bio. And you've you've really been all over. You've been New York, Chicago, now Seattle. You've been all over. Yeah, you know, it's kind of funny. Um, I I did a personal branding seminar when I was in my 20s, and they kind of um, worked with you to figure out if you have an elevator pitch and you've got 15 seconds with somebody, how would you describe yourself? And so when I think about where I've been and where I've come from, so much of my attitude comes from New York, my work ethic from living in the Midwest my sense of adventure from living in the Rocky Mountains, and now my sense of purpose on the West Coast. And so I feel like it's kind of a good summary of of what I've taken away from all of those places. Ooh, that is beautifully said. I'm going to have to think about that now, how all the different places we've lived geographically, how that can help shape us. That's really cool. Well, one thing I love to do kicking off the show lately, as people watching on YouTube can see, I love to read, I love a good book, and I love for our listeners to know what our guests are reading too. What's something that you've read recently that inspired you? Anything of of interest to you these days? Sure. Um, I feel like I've I've read quite a bit lately. Um, I I had to put reading aside because, frankly, I just ran out of time as a a new parent. Um, But I picked it up more recently, and I've read like four books in the last month, which is just really exciting to me. So right now, I am currently reading Last Child in the Woods, a pretty seminal piece uh, that's very classic. Um, So I've been reading that one. Before this, I read Crying in H Mart. Um, I read another wonderful book. I kind of balance between fiction and nonfiction, um, just to 
I can only process so much at the end of the day. Uh, but before this, I read To Have and to Hold, which was a really wonderful book and kind of looking at that, um, that Venn diagram of um, parenthood, motherhood, and being a partner. So it was a really good book. And then a little bit of fun, I read The Starless Sea, was one of the last uh, uh, fiction books that I read. Oh, you are an avid reader. My goodness, I love that. We have to include that in the show notes for people to, to follow along. That is great. I love that. Thank you for sharing that. Um, mm -hmm. and, you know, one thing I always love, you know, going over the bio and everything before we kick off the show, I've never heard someone describe themselves as an empathy engine. And immediately when I read that, I'm like, I love that. That is amazing. So tell us what that means to you when you describe yourself as an empathy engine. Oh, yeah, um, I think so much of my job and my role and just really my professional career has focused on trying to bring people into another person's shoes. And it is, it's something that can be really tricky to do because especially in the business world, we're so focused on bottom line, we're focused on reporting to shareholders, we're focused on, you know, what's going to make money. And I think a lot of that just precludes the fact that people are at the heart of that. And you have to put people first, whether you are a leader or you're a business person, it's, it's the people that matter. And so that's my job. And I'm not responsible for P&L, so I get to say that. Um, but it's also my job to make people care. Um, they need to care about the why. They need to care about the who. And so my, my purpose is really about finding those voices, representing those voices, helping people understand the problems that they have and the truths that are shared across humans um, and really making them care about it. So that's, that's really why I view Empathy Engine at the core of my work. Ooh, that is, what a beautiful way to describe what you do. And, and I, I hear that already. Let's dive in more to the work that you do, because I think we have some mutual interests here with psychology. I imagine you incorporate psychology so much into the work that you're doing. Tell us more how you see the psychology of the customer play out and, and how that connects to what REI offers and creates. Mm-hmm. So my work really spans the, the gamut of qualitative and quantitative work. And I'm not talking about big data sets and transactional data, but more so, you know, talking to people, asking them more about the how and the what and quantifying that. And, you know, sometimes data can be, uh, what's the word? The word that's common today is weaponized. Dairy, data can be cherry picked to prove any point that you want it to prove. And so when I think about my work and the importance of um, really representing these, um, these voices, we have to make sure we're telling the whole story. We have to make sure we're representing the whole person. We have to make sure we're elevating those underrepresented voices, underrepresented voices that may otherwise get lost in large data sets. And so a lot of what I do is really focused on looking across that spectrum. I don't really conduct one-off research projects just to answer um, a smattering of random questions, but rather it's to investigate deep meaty topics. And so that may involve going to spend time with people in their home or going to go hike or camp or ride a bike with them to learn more about why they do these things and what's important to them and how it impacts their lives. And then I have to bring that back to my, to my um, colleagues to say, this is really what matters. I often find that the most impactful um, way that you can really change somebody's mind is by having them either hear it for the customer or experience it with the customer. Mm -hmm. And so um, prior to the pandemic, we actually 
we're doing quite a bit of work to get folks out into the field to do those excursions with people, to hear from them, to talk to our employees, to spend time in, in New York City and see what it's like to experience the outdoors in New York City. It's a, it's a different feeling than being here in Seattle, Washington. So um, empathy is also just about creating those opportunities for people to create space, to listen, to understand, rather than constantly being in a space that they have to listen to respond. Um, that pause and that moment of understanding is really important in what I do. Oh, wow. That's so refreshing to hear that, uh, that you all go out in the trenches with folks, actively experience nature together. That's really cool that it's not just happening behind a computer screen. And it really sounds like mm -hmm. you're a storyteller with the data that you really bring it to life, these stories. Yes, that is a huge component. People listen to stories much more than they listen to data. The stories is what it's really what they remember. And so you have a balance where you need to be able to tell the story and then back that up with data. Um, and we're always trying to get better at how we do that, how we present information, um, what we leave people behind with. Um, but it's really about empowering people with these stories that, so that they can take it forward into their work. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And I'm so curious with all the stories that you have, I mean, similar to what I do, we get a bird's eye view into humanity and the lived experience and, and what happens behind people's screens. What's been most surprising to you or most fascinating to you in the research that you've done working with your clients? Oh my goodness, there's there's so much. Um, it, it, it never ceases to amaze me how we can get so close to a topic that we really just start telling ourselves our own stories. <laughs> and so my, my goal is to be kind of the voice of truth and reason. Um, living in Seattle, REI is a very traditional outdoor retailer and uh, not everybody views the outdoors the same way. And so I think that sometimes we, we come up with these internal uh, kind of corporate myths um, and stories that we have that we hold near and dear that are true to our culture, but may not necessarily be reflective of how the broader population gets outside. And so I think, you know, so often going out and hearing and seeing and experiencing um, the, the way that other people might spend time outside is really the part that can be most shocking to my colleagues where uh, we had the great fortune of spending some time with uh, consumers in, in Manhattan a few years ago. And we were able to go bouldering in Central Park with people and you know just have a picnic and go bike riding um, along the Hudson. And it was such a mind blowing experience for people where they're like, wow, I really never thought about the fact that our version of the outdoors doesn't necessarily apply here. It's, it's a very different perspective. It's much harder for people to get outdoors, um, but outside is right outside their front door. And so shifting that mindset and shifting even the vocabulary that kind of leads to that image that we paint in our heads um, has been something that's been really challenging, but also really, really incredibly rewarding, where you start to shift the mindset of like, let's meet people where they are, rather than trying to put them in the box where we think they should be. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I can hear that. I can hear that. Yeah, because it's it's not so easily accessible for a lot of folks. You know, a lot of people are living in, in concrete jungles, so many more people living in urban settings that it's hard to get away to the mountains, you know, even something like that. There's a lot of privilege in that of being able to take a few days to go to on a hiking trip, for example. Yeah, that's that's a key word. Um, I think that living in this tiny, wonderful um, outdoor mecca of the country is definitely a privilege. And we have access to trails just outside of our back 
door. And most of the country doesn't necessarily operate like that. Um, the outdoors for a lot of people indicates a special place I have to go with special knowledge and special gear and knowledge of how to use that gear. It's not something that seems very accessible in their everyday lives. And so my job is really to help folks understand that and to help um, really try to find that balance of where we've been as a brand and a company and our view of the outdoors and how we need to evolve that into the future to resonate with more people and more deeply connect them to nature. Yeah, yeah. Well, and you know, part of why I wanted to have you on the show too, I, I really believe in the work that companies like REI are doing to bring nature more accessible to folks because we, I read on a daily basis how being outside, being around greenery, it's so, so good for our mental health. Mm -hmm. I feel like I'm often telling my clients, get outside, get that vitamin D. Mm -hmm. I'm curious how you see your work at, at REI. How do you see your company helping the mental health of the clientele, the people who interact with REI's products? Mm -hmm. I, oh my gosh, there are a lot of stories that pertain to this, but one in particular sticks out. Um, so I'm not going to use names in this, but we had done a, a project to better understand who our target audience is um, and to understand the ways that they view the outside and ways that REI can really connect with them. And we were doing a project that we call an illumination project, which is a qualitative methodology where you go out and you talk to people and really just try to put a face to the story and, and bring that story all the way through in the data. And um, we did this project about three years ago. And then the one of the respondents randomly happened to track me down on LinkedIn uh, through a mutual coworker that we had had and sent a note to me uh, with my permission, just saying, I have never felt so seen. I thought that I, I was really impressed because for him, it really felt like this was such a validating experience to have somebody listen about the role of the outdoors in their life and, and the role that it plays in their family and to really just feel like I'm seen. And so my goal with getting people outside and doing the work that we do and trying to bring the brand into the future is that if we don't protect these public places, if we don't protect nature and really invest in it and get the next generation to really care about it, these stories will go away. And um, in reading this book, Last Child in the Woods, actually, this is exactly what it's talking about. And I'm a new parent myself. And I see how my son reacts to spending time outside where we can be cooped up in the house on a rainy day. And he's going bonkers. <laughs> and I am too. Um, and so rather than turn the TV on, if we just put his little, uh, you know, blueberry rain suit on and take him outside to splash around in puddles, we all feel better. And I have those experiences prior to being a parent of spending days outside on the trail, getting up on the lift, going to ride my bike, taking the dog out for a walk. And I know how much better I feel as, as a human being um, and how much it can clear my mind. And in fact, I always joke with my boss that he's much better when he's taking a walking meeting or he's outside in his camper van, like working around the country because I see the clarity that it provides to people. And so I do personally try to carve out time in my day as much as I can to get outside, even if it's just for a few minutes. Um, but I, I want to be able to help build those connections for people to make sure that we have the ability to preserve these places and bring the stories into the future, even if they, they evolve into a new way. Right, right. That really we all care so much more about it because I, I agree with you. Once we have these touch points and, and really I would say like these spiritual experiences in nature, it just changes how you feel in your brain and your body. It, it does lead you to care more and want to protect our planet more. Absolutely. And, and you started to, to speak into this too. You know, something I'm really passionate about is making sure our, our workforce 
we are protecting our mental health in our companies. You know, we spend so much time at our jobs, so we spend hours each week. I'm curious, how are you seeing REI look after and care about the mental health of, of its own employees, if you're open to sharing on that? Sure. I think we all find ourselves in a really interesting place today versus where we were a few years ago. And I think that there are so many um, positives and negatives that have emerged to the new ways of working. Prior to the pandemic, REI um, was really an in-office kind of culture. We had an office in Kent, Washington, and we were building a big, new, fancy, beautiful state-of-the-art office in Bellevue that we were planning to move into um, the same summer that the pandemic hit. And a few months into everybody working from home, the business was thriving, we were doing it really well, leadership made that really tough call to sell the headquarters. And I think we all went through a bit of a mourning period, knowing that so much of the culture that we'd held dear to us before about that in-person experience was going to go away. And so I think, um, you know, even today, now it's been a couple years later, folks are still reconciling with that. And how do you build culture in a remote environment? And I think it's a challenge many, many companies are facing, um, but we do it in small ways. And so the co-op has um, a, a benefit that we call co-op way days, where we get a few days a year to go spend time the way that we want to do it. Originally, this was about, um, this started around the same time where we started our opt outside um, effort, where it was really about closing down our stores so folks could get outside and spend the day after Thanksgiving with their families or loved ones, um, and not in a store. Uh, not supporting, you know, this, this consumerist culture and the busiest shopping day of the year. And so it was really scary when we did that, but it was super exciting. And, and I love being part of that and seeing the company lead. And since then, it's really become a trend. Uh, Co-op Way Days came shortly after that, where we started to, you know, really try to set aside time for folks to use it the way that they wanted to, not the way that, you know, we were telling them to use it. So that could be taking a day off to go vote. That can be taking a day off to, to join a protest um, of, of, for a cause that you're very passionate about for spending the time outside. And so, um, I've been able to sneak in those days even on the on the lift, um, and it's not it's not sneak so to speak, but uh, use of my way day that way, or even just spend some time and you know block off my morning to just say, hey, I, it snowed 18 inches last night. I'm gonna go run up to the mountain and get in a morning, um, and spend some time for myself. Um, and so we try to create space for that. We also try to have team engagements where we get people outside and get people together in person for the time to just purely spend together as people rather than to get a bunch of work done. Um, we are all very, very efficient at working um, in this, this mobile hybrid or work from home um, environment. Um, so we try to prioritize the time that we have in person to just be together. Mm, I love that. I think that's, I think that's phenomenal, that intentionality and really naming, like, we want you to take this time for yourself. That models something so powerful, you know, and especially with a company like REI, where my mind as a consumer thinks nature, the outdoors, like, it's great mm -hmm. to hear that you're practicing what you preach and that you all are getting outside and, and making the most of it too. So I love that. I right. love that. Let's talk more about you, Brittany, and your journey, because- <laughs> I, I always love to talk to our guests. I mean, everybody here on this show, you all have done incredible things and, and you're included in that. I'm curious for you, when you look back on your career and you've done so much so far, what do you feel like has been the secret to your success, your longevity thus far? Right. Um, I think part of this is recognizing that success is an ecstatic concept. It's something that you have to revisit every so often. Um, and 
I have found that blindly pushing towards goals that maybe you set years ago and that no longer serve you can be a trap for people. And these are, <laughs> these are the moments where we find people questioning, why am I doing this? Why am I working so hard for this? Why, why do I feel like I need to change careers? And so I think having those, those moments of reconciliation along the way where you can pause to say, is this really what I want? Where am I in my life now? How have my goals maybe shifted? How has what's important to me shifted? Um, are these things continuing to serve me? And so stopping to do that work will just, I think, set you up for greater success. So I don't view necessarily like long-term plans. I think we all have long-term aspirations. Um, and I think that's the healthy approach rather than necessarily long-term goals and things that I have to do. Um, I mean, I, I have a bucket list as well, and that's completely fine, but I revisit those things over time. And um, I feel like that revisit happens every five years or so. That's just my personal cadence of, um, you know, along the lines of big milestones in my life happening. Um, I, I do take that moment to pause, to reflect on, here's what I was working towards. What does success look like for me now? And it's okay to redefine that. It's not a, a sign of failure if you redefine success. Um, things change and people change and your goals should change along with that. And so I think treating this as more of a dynamic concept versus a static one is imperative. Oh, I, I, there were so many nuggets in there that are quotable. <laughs> I, I think that's so true. And, you know, I see that a lot for my, I'd say my millennial clients, especially. I'm a millennial myself. And I think sometimes we were, kind of indoctrinated with the message growing up of like, have these big dreams. And if you don't achieve these dreams, it didn't work out for you. No, that's so not the case. Like, I love that you speak to, look, our lives are ever evolving, changing. Let's not stay rigid with the plan. Let's grow as we go. I think that's just a very refreshing take. It makes me heartened to hear that. And as an elder millennial, I can definitely share in that. Um, I've always been a very goal-oriented person. And I, I had a colleague years ago who gave me the backhanded compliment that's really stuck with me is that you're the most laid back type A person I know. <laughs> and I thought, I thought it, was, it was pretty accurate. Um, but it also kind of taught me a lesson too, that it's like, okay, I can still be really motivated and I can still get things done, but I also can roll with it a little bit. Mm -hmm. And I can let go of some of that control because I personally don't want to do everything and I don't want to have all the answers. And that's something that I feel like more recently in my life, I've had to make amends with because I think particularly as women, um, we get in this mode of doing everything. Um, sometimes we go after the easy A because we know how to do it. It's easier to get it done yourself. And it feels good when you do something and you get it done and you get the acknowledgement for it. Um, but it can also be a really big distraction. And sometimes you lose track of things in the progress, in the process. And so I think that, um, yeah, we, we, we just have to pause to ask ourselves what matters, why is it important, what is not serving me, and then just have those moments of reflection built in and make the space for it. Mm, I, I'm so with you on that. And, you know, it's interesting because imposter syndrome has been such a buzzword coming up, I'd say, over the last few years. And I think that really ties into what we're speaking to, you know, uh, women especially, but I mean, 70% of the population experiences imposter syndrome, really feeling this pressure that we kind of have to puff up our shoulders, act like we know what's going on all the time. Um, we can't share when we don't know all the answers. I'm curious for you, if you're open to sharing, like, how do you ever see imposter syndrome coming up? How do you work through that? Because I know a lot of our listeners, they struggle with that. Sure. I have these conversations all the time, particularly with other women and leaders in general, this crosses gender. 
Um, I personally dealt with a lot of this over the last uh, last couple of years coming back from maternity leave. My son is now almost two. Um, I had the fortune of taking about five months off. And um, in working with my boss and coming back, I was able to kind of gradually transition in a part-time capacity for a few weeks to kind of get the, the hang of things. Um, and we also have the privilege of doing in-home childcare and being in this, this hybrid work situation. Um, it was a good place to be. So that being said, coming back and realizing that I needed, I had so much to do and I had a new role that I was trying to play. And I was trying to do all of it at home where, you know, for good or bad, you're in the thick of it all the time and you can't get away. And when things were closed down, they were very heavily closed down in Washington. We didn't really have a lot of options and you could only get so much help. So I had, I think I, I took a bit of a spiral after this and I just found myself getting really, really burnt out. Mm -hmm. And that I think was, um, that was one of those, those moments of pause and reflection. And I also had the, the great fortune of being part of the leadership development program at REI, um, where we have a very small cohort of leaders, there were about 15 of us, I believe, um, that were part of this. And it was about a nine month program from start to end. And of course, you know, it happens at the time where you're incredibly busy and fresh back from maternity leave. And it's like, okay, sure, I can do this. There's no more thing on the pile. And I was also really trying to grow my team and hire a number of roles and kind of get back to some sense of normalcy. And I took it all on. I kept saying yes to things. I kept thinking I could do it all. I kept muscling through things. And I had this little voice in the back of my head um, where I had, I had a friend um, at the early stages of my pregnancy who, who made a comment to me about, it was really about parenting, but I think it's also true for work, is that you can solve problems with time and money and you need to figure out which one is more valuable to you. And recognizing this comes from a point of great privilege. This really helped me to think about how do I need to prioritize things? I don't need to have all the answers and do it all. I can hire people that can help with that, whether at work or at home, um, people that can, you know, help me free up my time that are better at things than I am. And having those people on my team, frankly, makes your life easier. It empowers them and gives them opportunity. And it also makes you look smarter. <laughs> so I've, I've realized that so much of needing to work through the imposter syndrome that I was facing was really just pausing to assess that situation understanding what's working, what's not working, what's contributing to that, and then um, letting go of those things again that don't serve you. Um, I, I know that this is a really hard thing for a lot of parents to deal with, a lot of caretakers, a lot of people, and just individuals that have a lot going on. Um, but I have found that being vulnerable and bringing my whole self to work with my coworkers has helped me to kind of get through this and be honest about some of the challenges that I'm facing, work with them to figure out, you know, what could some potential solutions be and how is how is how I'm feeling impacting you. Um, and really just putting myself out there to get a little bit of help to work through some of that. And I know that's a really hard thing to do because I've, I've lived through it, but, um, but we can do it. And you'd be amazed at the reception that you get when you're, when you um, open yourself up to other folks. Mm, I think it is so important that you're speaking to that because more than ever, I think, especially as we have gone so much more virtual and remote, I think it's so easy for us to miss our humanness with each other. You know, we just jump mm -hmm. into our meetings and let's do this Zoom meeting in a short amount of time as possible that we miss asking, you know, hey, how was your weekend? What's going on in your life? We stop disclosing, you know, what's happening unless like a cat or a child happens to cross the room, <laughs> you know, and, and I love that it sounds like you're really willing to share your humanness. That vulnerability is actually a strength and it helps your team feel so much more connected in turn, I'm hearing. 
Absolutely. Um, I, I'm a big fan of bring your whole self to work. And I tell my team this all the time. I know that people have different levels of comfort and what they're willing to share. But I also know that the situation we find ourselves in, it's, it's kind of front and center. You know, a kid walks into the room and you're in the middle of a presentation, your dog's barking in the background at the mailman. That happens to me every day. Um, <laughs> We unfortunately were struck by, by COVID a few weeks ago and uh, childcare was canceled and I had to interview somebody with my toddler on my lap. And I preface this with like, I know this may be the weirdest interview, but this is my life and I just, this is how I lead. And um, the person who I was speaking to was actually a mother. And at the end of the interview, she's like, I can't tell you how refreshing this was. Yes. <laughs> and so I was glad I was able to share that and kind of model that example. But I, I think with my team and with my coworkers, Modeling, modeling vulnerability in the workplace is incredibly important for leaders. Um, and I, it's something that I, I really admire in other leaders who I see do it. And I want to uphold that myself. Yes, yes. It's a strength. It's not a weakness to be vulnerable mm -hmm. and show your humanness. And, and I love that you brought your toddler in the interview. Like that is amazing. <laughs> I would love that too. If, if your toddler decides to make a cameo during this podcast, that's <laughs> Um, how, how has it been becoming a parent? I know myself, I'm getting ready to embark on that journey soon myself. And I know many of our listeners, you know, maybe thinking about starting families. Um, how has it been for you bringing motherhood in, into your life as, as a awesome career woman as well? Uh, well, first of all, congratulations. That's super exciting news. Um, you know, it, it, I mean, you hear all the cliches before you become a parent around, oh, it's the hardest, most rewarding thing that you'll ever do. And it's the, the most difficult job you'll ever have. And I, I don't think you, it, you fully understand it until you're in the thick of it. And the days go by at an incredibly fast rate. The day itself may drag on forever, but the days just go by so quickly. And so I feel like I just had my child um you know within the last few weeks and here we are almost two years later it's just really hard to believe it's been such a blur um you know but it is hard it is really hard and i i definitely see why so many moms in particular have that moment of like gosh am i really cut out to do all of this should i just take some time off mm -hmm. and so i personally um have made peace with the fact that my career is incredibly important to me it doesn't define me but you, again, as you said, you spend most of your time working. And so you really should feel good about what you're doing and what it's contributing to. And I found so much purpose um, in my role at REI and the work that I'm contributing to that it's kept me here for almost eight years. Um, I never actually thought that I would be here that long, but I have really deeply found that sense of connection and purpose to the work that we're doing. And so I think that, you know, for me, it was really important to find that sense of balance, to, to redefine success. And success to me has never been about having the highest title or the biggest paycheck, but it's really about kind of the sphere of influence that I can have mm -hmm. and, um, and the impact that we can make. And so I knew that um, continuing to work was going to be incredibly important for my son and for my family and for my own mental health. And so I wanted to make sure that I could, um, I could balance all of that. And it is tough. Every, like every day can be a different set of challenges or a different struggle and nothing is ever perfect. I've definitely had to, I think, realign some of my own personal expectations um, and also just some of your fears. Some days it can feel really hard to just get out of the house, <laughs> especially with, with a newborn. But 
being able to just like bring him along on our adventures and to bring him into my work and, you know, to have that flexibility where I don't feel like I'm missing out on everything because we, we have the situation that we have. I feel incredibly lucky and fortunate. Um, but I think that so much of it is, is about having that support system in place too, to help you balance it. And again, time or money. We personally don't have any family nearby. So um, we have to rely on a network of um, care providers and, and friends and people that we can tap into. But I think that the most important thing parents can also do is to make space for themselves. Yes. Let's be real. <laughs> Taking a shower, cooking, cooking dinner, going to the store, this is not self-care. <laughs> so I think that uh, sometimes, especially moms, get caught up in this like, oh, taking a shower just should feel like self-care. You're taking this long trip to Target should, should be self-care. And like, sometimes that's all you get. So you take it, but creating space for yourself, you know, go for that walk, go by it, go out by yourself, work with your partner to take some time so you can both alternate. It's incredibly important and letting go of that guilt. Your, your kiddo's going to be okay. They're going to be fine. They're, they're stronger um, when they have that kind of independence. And so I think that a lot of, a lot of the learning curve is on the parents to figure out how to kind of balance our own feelings and our own needs just as much as our children. Mm-hmm. Um, I will share that uh, following this leadership development program I was in, I actually, for the first time um, since my, my child had been born, decided to take my own solo trip. And so I worked it out with my husband and I headed out to Hawaii for a few days. And I went by myself. I didn't want to be responsible for anyone else's happiness or choices. And I went by myself and I went to bed at 730 and I ate pineapple in bed and did whatever I wanted to do. And it was just the kind of reset that I needed. Um, So I really advocate for that. Create space for yourself. Oh, I love, I think everything you just shared there over the last few minutes, I think there are going to be myself included. Rewind, play again when, when we need to hear that pep talk. Pep talk. Mm-hmm. And I love too that you talk about going on a trip by yourself. You know, I recently did that. I was speaking at a conference in Orlando. I got stuck in the storms there. I'm like, you know what? I'll take myself to Epcot. That sounds like a good time. And I think we need to encourage that more that it's okay to be out and enjoying life by yourself. You don't always have to have a buddy necessarily to go do things. So hearing you took yourself to Hawaii. That is amazing. I love yes. that. I honestly, I think that's been one of my keys to mental health over time. Um, and it's not that I try to intentionally set aside time to do the big thinking. I think that just happens when you create space. Um, I have never been the type of person that can journal. It is, it is just not in my DNA. Um, <laughs> but I do try to set aside that, that, that time or in the morning I have my sacred cup of coffee and I play Wordle. And maybe it's only 20 minutes. But it is like how I wake up every morning and, you know, I may, I might squeeze in a workout a few times a week, um, but creating those moments of like sacred space that you can have for yourself is just so important for feeling like you can get a little bit of balance in the day. Yes. I'm, I am all for Wordle, Wordle too. I'm all in. Um, That's amazing. Well, you have shared so much wisdom with us today, Brittany. My, my last question I have for you, and we ask this with every guest. Uh, everybody brings an interesting response and I'm excited to hear what you think. When you look back on your life, your career, who you are as a person, what do you hope your legacy will be? Right. I have been thinking about this question because I listened to your podcast and I knew it was coming. Um, (laughs) I think so much of it comes back to how I started this off that I feel like so much of my time spent in, in the Northwest has really helped me to find my purpose. And I did not grow up uh, necessarily tied to the outdoors. It wasn't really part of my um, of my 
my childhood, we had a lot more outside time. I grew up in the Midwest and we would go outside and play till the, the sun went down or the lights came on. And I didn't really discover this more traditional version of the outdoors until I was in my 20s and I learned how to snowboard. Mm -hmm. And it completely changed the trajectory of my life. Um, and I started camping, I started backpacking, I started mountain biking, and it did so much for me personally that I want to share that experience with other people like agnostic of the activity. I just want them to have that connection with spending more time outside. And so when I think about my legacy, it's that I really want to contribute to the, the preservation of these natural spaces and getting more people to just spend time outside connecting and to care about it. Um, because I really do think that when we spend more time with nature, it makes us better people, it makes us kinder people, more patient people, and just more connected to the natural world. And so that's really what I want my legacy to be. Oh, whew. Chills. I think you were doing that. And, and what a beautiful legacy to leave. You know, I, I, I hear that you are living that out. It's not aspirational. It's actually happening with what you're doing. So mm -hmm. I think people listening to this episode, we're all going to get outside today or maybe, <laughs> maybe plan a trip, you know, to really just soak up some time outside. Oh, I, I have loved our conversation, Brittany. It, you inspire me and I know other people will be inspired too. I'm curious, how can people get in touch with you if they wanna learn more from you or hear more about the great work you're doing? Sure, you can absolutely look me up on LinkedIn if you have any personal questions or uh, want to tap in uh, to anything that I talked about today. And then if you're interested in learning more about REI um, as a company or a brand or a cooperative, please feel free to look us up on our website. Um, we are the largest member-owned cooperative um, and we really focus on kind of outside uh, recreation and we uh, you can find us at rei.com uh, reicoop.com wonderful wonderful Brittany thank you so much for being on the show today what a treat thank you <laughs> nice speaking with you Lauren bye-bye thank you so much for tuning in for today's episode of the boardroom brain podcast let's cultivate those networking skills starting today share this episode with someone who could benefit from listening and leave a comment and review to let me know what you think. Subscribe to get all the latest episodes and don't hesitate to tell me who you'd love to hear on the podcast. Don't forget that you're always welcome to watch the YouTube version of these episodes as well if you'd like to experience this conversation visually. I always welcome your feedback and I hope today's dialogue sparked your own insights. Here's to fostering those healthy brains both in the boardroom and beyond. <laughs>